Sports Ethos New York Knicks podcast, Andre Gallibrand. Let me tell you something. A lot of these losses recently I've been saying to you guys, okay, you know, bad matchup with Toronto, bad matchup with Milwaukee, bad matchup with Atlanta, tough situation with the Nets. Always a little bit of an excuse because I understand that this team has its limitations. I get it. I'm not fooled by the wins. I'm not fooled by the success. I've been saying it all year long. The team is around a 500 team. They they got me into thinking they could maybe sneak into the sixth seed, which is still a possibility, but they're a playing team. That's what they are. That's That's their ceiling. Even with them having one of the tougher schedules from here on out. They're capable of beating any team in the league. They're capable of losing to any team in the league. I'll call out a bad loss. I will. But if I see it, and I'm like, listen, I can see us losing to the, I can see the Knicks losing to the Nets. I can see it. I get it. This Laker game was a game I assume the Knicks would have a hard time with. Not because the Lakers are this tremendous team, but they have one of the greatest players of all time in LeBron James. They have a healthy Anthony Davis. They rested just so they can play this game. It was a tough matchup going in. You knew the referees were going to be siding with the Lakers a good bit. At least you thought that going in. I have to be honest, I did not see a ton of that in the game. I expected it, tweeted about it. I said, that the Lakers were going to get 50 free throws in this game, I cannot honestly say that this game was officiated out of the norm. Okay? It did. It was annoying to see LeBron James acting like being all exasperated because he didn't get a touch foul a couple times in the fourth quarter. That, that was annoying. But outside of that, the referees weren't a huge factor in this game. The Knicks and the Knicks losing this game not outrageous, not an outrageous concept. But as the game progressed, you saw that this was a winnable game for the team, right? Like an easily winnable game. They just needed to shore up a couple things, and they never did it. They were in this game with R.J. Barrett having a bad game. They were in the game. Julius Randle wasn't playing a good game. They were in the game. You would hustle plays from, from I Heart. Quickly was playing solid. They got down in that fourth quarter, fought their way back. But when you look at the game in its totality, what you saw was, what you glaringly, you saw, we'll put Randall aside, you saw where Tibbs lets this team down far too often. And I can't, I'm not going to be one of these guys that just tears Tibbs apart. All the time, and he never, he, you know, he, he's no good, blah, blah. He's responsible for some of these wins, frankly. But why are you essentially advocating for an offense that is not an offense? They're not even doing high screen and roll all the time, which was annoying to see it done all the time. They're just doing isolation after isolation. Julius Randle didn't get double teamed. A lot of times, the Knicks' so-called offense, quote-unquote, 
is generated by Julius Randle being double teamed. And he's either going to make good decisions or he's going to make bad decisions or he's going to make the shot, whatever it's going to be. But the Lakers didn't double team. And that, like, brain froze Randle. It got him into bad shots. It got him into taking too long to make a decision. He never got into a good flow in the game. And the offense, even though they were scoring points, mostly because of Jalen Brunson and transition and secondary transition, hustle plays, the offense never had a rhythm and flow. There was no, there's no offense outside of double teaming Julius Randle and finding offense out of that or Jalen Brunson scoring, essentially. Because he's not really creating offense for other people, not very often, because he gets his shot. He gets the shot he wants, and he's very efficient at making it. And you know, some people blame Jalen Brunson for not being a more natural point guard and not getting other people involved. I don't get into that because there aren't that many natural point guards in the league anymore or prototypical point guards in the league anymore. Everybody's an offensive hybrid. Some guys will find shots for others more, more than obviously than, than Brunson is. And the guy he gets compared to a lot, or I shouldn't say compared to, but because of the all-star conversation, is Halliburton. Halliburton's going to create shots for people. Jalen Brunson's not always going to look to create shots for people because once he gets past a certain point, he can score in a myriad of ways. And because he's so efficient, I don't think it's a bad thing, but I do think when when the ball starts with him and ends with him every possession, it can become a thing if he doesn't get his shot and now you have five seconds to find another shot. So now you have two guys for different reasons on the offense who aren't generating opportunities for other players. With Randall, it's with his slow processing speed and bad decisions. With Brunson, it's with him having the ball for the entire possession and it ending with the shot sometimes. Make or miss. That's not a good thing. You can still get what you're getting out of Jalen Brunson by exploring other opportunities first. You can end with Jalen instead of starting with Jalen. If Jalen's going to attack early in the shot clock, that's one thing. But if you're just going to run some arbitrary actions on the perimeter just to get the ball back to Jalen and burn five seconds on the shot clock and then take another five, six seconds on the shot clock for Jalen to get his shot, and then if he gets it, great. But if he doesn't, now he's passing the ball and you need two or three passes to get a good shot, but there's no time left. That's bad offense. When you give the ball to Julius Randle and he jab steps you into oblivion and he doesn't, and he ends up taking a bad shot or he doesn't drive to the basket and sink in defenders and kick out, what do, then that means there are guys on the court that just aren't seeing the ball and that brings you to R.J. Barrett. And R.J. Barrett is a very aggressive shooter. Is one, it's hard as an R.J. Barrett advocate to, to act like R.J. doesn't get opportunities because he takes a lot of shots. And the best thing that R.J. does is that R.J. does not hold the ball very often. He attacks closeouts. He attacks from the weak side. He's very decisive in his opportunities. That's a good thing. The decision he makes isn't always a good thing, and that's where he struggled the last few games, right? But when the, when Julius and Jalen, and again, some of that yesterday with Julius was because they weren't double-teaming him. 
when Julius and Jalen don't make quick decisions, don't collapse the defense and kick out, R.J. Barrett is not going to get good opportunities. Quentin Grimes is not going to get, get good opportunities. Randall aside, because there's plenty of conversation on Julius Randall. Brunson can do what he does early in the shot clock or late in the shot clock. You can't have him measuring his opportunities the entire shot clock. I mean, there's there's just some truth to it. Jalen Brunson is dominating the ball a bit much. He's done it all year long. But, and you know what? It's not terrible when it's working out. But when you're seeing other guys now, other guys are not getting a chance, getting an opportunity, and you're seeing R.J. Barrett get frustrated, and we're going to get into his benching. It, and Quentin Grimes is struggling a little bit. Quentin Grimes is an all-in-the-ball player. He's not just an off-the-ball player. He can do more than what you're asking him to do. Don't just have him standing around. And let's be honest, as much as, listen, there's been a lot of praise of Randall on this show. There's been a lot of blame and criticizing of Randall on this show. But I'm going to read you a stat here. And this is from, I think it's, yeah, it's uh, at Tommy Beer. It's a Nick uh, guy on social media, posts a lot of Nick stuff. Among all NBA players with at least 40 field goal attempts, in the clutch this season, Brunson is one of only two players shooting above 45% from the floor and above 38% from downtown in the clutch. Amazing. By the way, there was some guy on Twitter who was saying that Jalen Brunson, Brunson has not been clutch all season. It's so hilarious. This was after, what game was it where Jalen kind of struggled down the stretch and and didn't produce consistently it was a bad look and this guy watched that game and came out of the game and was like Brunson never makes good plays down the stretch he's not clutch and I'm like dude you know he's the third most clutch player in the league right statistically in terms of field goals field goal percentage everything under the sun but what are you talking about I mean, I, I can't stand that. I can't stand when people are watching the same thing and it's like they don't have, their memories are so short. They have no perspective, no nothing. Anyway, now on Randall, however, Randall's the only player shooting below 28% from the floor and below 25% from downtown. That's the only player with at least 40 field goal attempts in the clutch this season. That's bad business, man. And listen, every Knicks fan knows that, you know, you're a little bit nervous when Julius Randle has a ball down the stretch. Every Knicks fan knows it. Every Knicks fan knows it. Okay? So, of course, that's not the person you want to have the ball in a tie game situation, a game that you want to end in regulation, especially after the game that Jalen Brunson had. You got one of the most clutch players in the league, and you're, and you're acquiescing to, to uh, Julius Randle. Like, what are you doing? What is that? Now, Tibbs' post-game comments, he said that they needed to read the defense there. That was a play. It needed to be a read of the defense. And you put it in Julius Randle's hands to do? He's not great at that. And I, Tibbs has to know that. As much as he can be good, that's a frustrating thing with Randle, is that you see him be good at things sometimes, and then you see him be terrible at the same things. 
That's what's really frustrating about him. And I've talked about that all year. I talked about how in the same game, Randall could be the old, terrible Randall and the amazing Randall all in the same game. But that ball needed to be in Jalen Brunson's hands. Objectively, there's, no, there's really no measure that says that Julius Randall should get the opportunity there. It really isn't. And part of me feels like it was a similar play to what the Knicks did, I believe, against Cleveland, where down the stretch of the game, Julius Randle got the inbounds and just powered his way to the basket just very quickly, which kind of caught the defense by surprise, and he got fouled. Maybe maybe it was a similar play to that, but he didn't do that. <laughs> he didn't do that at all. And that's really the problem with Randall is how he processes the game. His game theory, you heard me talk about it all year long. I saw someone else on Twitter talk about how, how his processing hurts the Knicks. And it's true. Their offensive process as a whole hurts the team, but Randall's individual process hurts the team. And sometimes Brunson's process is too slow. Well, let's talk about RJ getting benched down the stretch. It's not the only time. And you heard here on this show, you heard me talk about how with IQ playing much better, that going down the stretch, the RJ, IQ, Grimes triangle of who's going to play was going to become a thing, and now it is officially a thing. In RJ Barrett's post-game comments where he basically said he had nothing to say, but he also put on a show for the media, turning to Cam and saying something along the lines of, you know, tell them that it's best that I don't say anything or something along those lines because he's going to implying that he's going to say something controversial. RJ Barrett was not happy about that benching. That was a long time for him to sit on the bench. There are a lot of Nick fans, or I should say RJ Barrett fans that are up in arms about it. I get why he didn't play. Now you're talking about overtime and he only played five minutes in the fourth quarter. You can't really argue with the process of of uh, a game that turned the Knicks came back in that game and they were down, I think six points with less than two minutes to go or something along those lines. They came back in that game and had a chance to win it at the end. It's kind of hard to say, Oh, they should have been playing RJ that whole time. It's really kind of hard to say that. However, you're going into an overtime game, overtime session. RJ doesn't see a minute in that, in that overtime. I don't necessarily question it, but it, of course it's questionable. IQ is one of the best defensive players in the league. He's one of the, he has some of the best on-off stats in the league. It's hard to keep him off the floor, but Grimes wasn't necessarily playing well, but Grimes' defense is a value, and RJ's defense has been a detriment to the team for a long stretch of time now. Just stuck in the mud all the time. And that's really the primary reason why he's not playing. And then when he comes out and he doesn't play well offensively, then it's really easy to not play him. Simple as that. Now, where do things go from here? It's going to be hard to say. There's a lot of heat on Tom right now with the story coming out. I don't know why this is a big deal, but a story coming out that Cam Reddish complained or mentioned to one of the assistant coaches questioning how he's being used on the team and how Cam hasn't played ever since. I believe that story is at best incomplete. They said this was right before the Cavs game that the Knicks won, and but they didn't mention the Dallas game where Cam Reddish threw up all over himself in that game. They didn't mention it. 
If you watch Cam in that game, go back and see if you can find it online. Go watch that game and see how Cam played, and then ask yourself if you think that was the only reason why Tom didn't didn't play him again because he said something to the assistant coach. And I guarantee you that him just saying something it wasn't the the whole issue. I guarantee you it was there was some sort of confrontation of some sort. I bet you. And when I say confrontation, I'm not saying a fight or whatever. I'm saying it wasn't simply, oh, I don't think he's using me right on offense. It wasn't simply that. It had to be a whole lot more than that if it even played a little bit of a role in him not playing anymore. I think what happened here is is he decided to bench Cam. I'm I'm not going to say that wasn't part of it, but I know a lot of it was how he came out in that Dallas game and along with his defensive struggles to begin with. Some of them, he was a better ISO defender. Then he is a team defender and with his rotations and his screens and all of that, all of that rolled into one was real easy for him to sit on the bench when Grimes started to emerge as, a, as an option. And the Knicks have been a hundred times better with Grimes on the floor. It is very convenient to say the Knicks have not been better with Grimes playing the minutes he's playing. And yes, it becomes a glaring issue when you're down men, you're down players, and Cam still doesn't play. It definitely becomes a glaring issue. There's obviously something going else going on there, but I think what a lot of you are not paying attention to is once you've decided that you're going to trade a player, a lot of teams keep that guy off the floor. When in a situation like this, they, they keep the guy off the floor. Let's not, let's not compound matters by getting him hurt. He doesn't want to play. He's complaining. He's got an issue with the coach. On top of the fact that he hasn't necessarily been a great player for the Knicks when he did get opportunities. On top of the fact that there are players that Tom would much rather have on the floor. There are a lot of factors in Cam not playing. And I think the only reason why you have not seen Cam for five minutes here and there is because of that whatever that was, that confrontation, that altercation, that dispute, that complaint, whatever it ended up being. Yes, I believe that's why Cam's not playing when the Knicks only have uh, eight of their rotation players or, you know, someone's in foul trouble or even garbage time. I I think all of the other reasons is why he's not in the rotation, which which is what's most relevant. You guys are real curious about why he hasn't played you know, 15 minutes in five games since he was benched. If you notice, Derrick Rose, who loves Tom Thibodeau and who Tom Thibodeau loves, Derrick Rose has barely played. So it's real easy. It should be real easy to look and say, okay, here are the primary reasons why Cam Reddish isn't playing. And yes, on that list is probably Cam mounting off one day. Because Derrick Rose didn't mouth off. Derrick Rose didn't complain. He's sitting on the bench just the same way. But I, the Knicks should just be better off if Cam is off the team. If Cam goes somewhere somewhere else and he balls out, God bless him. There's going to be a ton of Knicks fans that are going to jump all down the Knicks' throats and Tom Thibodeau's throats. And, and listen, did I say throats? I think he only has one, even though he sounds like he might have five or six. But let Cam Reddish go somewhere else and dribble off his foot once again. Go ahead. It's fine. 
Let him go somewhere else and get used and abused on screens. Let him go somewhere else and miss rotations. And he's going to get his steals and he's going to get some blocks and he's going to have some highlights. But when it's game in, game out, it's almost like a very, very, very poor man's Jordan Poole who looks tremendous highlight to highlight, can put up some huge numbers. But day in, day out, he's costing you a lot. And people just don't realize it. They just don't realize it. Now, Cam Reddish has not been nearly as consistent as Jordan Poole has in his career. And Jordan Poole has a great offensive future in front of him, whereas Cam has not established even that. So I'm not comparing them as players, but... Depending on who you talk to, people will tell you all about how great Jordan Poole is as an offensive player and how and show you this highlight and that highlight and this 40-point game and blah, 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 blah. But game in, game out, Jordan Poole actually hurts the team a lot. And the numbers reflect it. And Jordan Poole's shooting percentages aren't much better than Derek Brooks, who has a reputation of being a very inefficient offensive player. Jordan Poole has a reputation. He's being paid like an all-star. But he has the same shooting percentages as Derek Brooks because he has highlights. And that's what Cam Reddish kind of is. And like I said, poor man's version. But he's a guy who can give you some highlights, but play to play, he struggles. But I'm not going to sit here and, and dig a grave for Cam's career. Cam has not done anything to me. And whatever went went on behind closed doors, that's fine. He won't be the first player, won't be the last. He's kept his mouth shut for the most part. He tried. I felt like he tried his best when he was in the game, for the most part, except for that Dallas game. He's just not capable in a lot of ways right now. But you've heard me say it a thousand times. Matherin came in this league, and in two seconds, he was better than Cam Reddish. And that should tell you everything. It really should. So the Knicks would just be better off having him off the roster. And if you can replace him with a rotation player, the Knicks would be a better team. Depending on who the player is, obviously. But they'll be a better team. And uh, I said we were going to go into some trades. That's what we're going to do now. Let's put that Laker game behind us. Uh, the Miami game's coming up. That's not going to be easy either. You know, Martin's back, I believe. That hurts because he, I think he's a, a burgeoning Nick killer. So don't look forward to that. You got Randall who has two games now where he has not played well and his processing has been terrible. Randall's processing and game theory is by far his largest weakness and it's a bad habit. So when you start to see it creep back in, it is a little bit troublesome because it's, it's a mind thing with him. It's, it's, it's like having the yips with him. So that's a little bit cause for concern. And RJ has been a very um, he's resilient player in his career with the Knicks. So I think he'll bounce back. But what you're not seeing from RJ is you're not seeing a lot of fire. You're not seeing a lot of fire and intensity on either side of the floor. It's almost like he almost looks sick. I'm not saying he is sick. I'm saying he looks sick. He just looks out of it. And it could just be the frustration of not having the ball in his hands at ever, ever. And that's something the Knicks need to correct. And it just is. And the fact that you keep seeing it's just gotten worse and worse over the season. I got to be honest with you. If you see the Knicks come out against Miami and just do ISO all the time, then you know Tom is, Tom is bugging. 
And if you've been listening to the show all this time, you know that I'm not like a Tom Tom Thibodeau like murderer every day. Like most of these people on Twitter. I'm not that guy. But let the truth be told. He's the offense is really basic and you can't just do ISO offense every time down the floor. You can't. Especially against Miami when they have two outstanding defenders. You know Jimmy Butler's gonna play. And Bam is outstanding defender. Like can't you can't play that way. Just can't. Just can't. Now, let's talk about these trades. Let's talk about the trade that I suggested months ago. Give me credit. Cite me. I heart to the Clippers. Now, when I said that, you were getting a very average I heart. And then after that, I heart started playing a little bit worse. Now he's playing better. Now, this version of I heart, even though he's not giving the Knicks or the Knicks are not utilizing him and utilizing all of his skill sets, even though he had an open corner three against the Lakers, that would have been a huge shot, and he missed it because he, he's clearly not a better three-point shooter than than uh, Taj Gibson. Let's just be honest. We, we were really sold a bill of goods on his ability to shoot the three. This is a lesson in small sample sizes so far based on what he did with the Clippers. Now, I'm sure he can hit the shot, but he has to be an efficient shooter of the shot. He can't just be a guy who can get hot. You're not going to get that many, so you need to be efficient with the opportunity. Honestly, I don't want to necessarily see. I, I'd rather see him in the corner than setting screens incessantly. I think when I think when Obi's in the game, and I hearts in the game. Have Obi split out shooting threes, okay? Because he's obvious, you know, for obvious reasons. When Randall's in the game, have Randall on the ball screening, because what you really want from Randall is to get him to go downhill. So if you can do some screen and roll and get the ball to Randall, it doesn't always have to be at the top of the key. Hint, hint. You can do it from different angles. If you can get Randall the ball going downhill on a screen and roll. Or even get him in, get him the ball in the paint deep enough where the help would have to come. You might get I heart a couple three point opportunities per game, and maybe that unlocks him a little bit. Because when you barely get that shot, it's going to be harder and harder to hit it. Even though as a pro and you're capable, he has to hit it at a higher rate than he has fifty plus games into the season. Even though he hasn't gotten that many, he definitely hasn't hit that many at all. But I think, I think I heart, even, even the shot he took in the Laker game, it was somewhat contested. It's not like people are not guarding him out there. I mean, just the fact that people are going to pay attention to him is a factor. That's the same thing with Miles McBride. It's not like people are not guarding Miles McBride. Half the time when Miles McBride takes a three, it's, it's almost swallowed up. They're, they're so close to him. And that's what you want. You want guys to at least keep the defense honest. Okay, so if iHeart can at least keep a defense honest, then maybe Randall will have a little bit more time in the paint to get something done. You know, maybe a ball fake might just get somebody off their spot so you can have 1v1 time in the paint, which is something that Randall often doesn't have. So if you can utilize iHeart in that way, it would be an advantage for the Knicks. There's so many little things the Knicks could do that they don't do that is very, very frustrating. But iHeart has played much better in this little stretch of games, 
And if he's going to play like that, then it's almost hard to hard to move him if you're trying to stay, you know, keep yourself um, afloat for the play-in and the sixth seed as an you know, outside chance of the sixth seed. Only because of the schedule and, and the fact that Knicks aren't necessarily playing well right now, I'd say it's outside chance. You don't want... You don't want to move iHeart for just anything if it's not going to make you better or at least keep you on the same plane or 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 not make you better going forward. Don't just move them to move them. The deal that I suggested was a combo deal, whatever, maybe throw Rose in there, get get a throw in back as Rose might want to go to the Clippers and see if they can win a championship. I don't think the Clippers want Cam Reddish, so let's not even talk about that. I don't think they need Fournier, and that's a bigger deal. But if Covington is not going to be utilized more consistently for the Clippers, he fits right in, assuming that he can still defend and still hit the outside shot to some degree. He fits right in as a, as a guy who can, a lot of times, take some of Miles McBride's minutes as a wing defender be a wing defender in case of foul trouble for Quentin Grimes. And can also play a little stretch five against certain matchups. And he's not on a crazy on a crazy deal. His deal is is up, I believe. So if you can combo if you can combo uh some players and, and get Covington in here I think it adds another dimension to the Knicks. I don't know if it's a dimension that Tom Thibodeau is going to utilize, but I think it's I think he's exactly what the Knicks could use. Especially with a healthy Mitchell Robinson, it would be nice if they brought back like an emer- an emergency power forward center either in that deal or another one or just, you know, bring somebody up from G League or something or sign a veteran or Something along those lines. Just having a, an emergency center for you know injury purposes if you're going to trade iHeart because you do need kind of like that bulky you know, rim protector. So, you know, iHeart is not great at it, but he's there. They need an extra guy because Covington is not going to play a ton of small ball five for Tom Thibodeau. And you need some injury protection because Jericho Sims is not always ready to compete against certain bigs and certain teams. But I think that's a I think that's a, a decent deal if you felt the need to move Hartenstein and Hartenstein has played better though. He's played better. And clearly when he plays better, he gets minutes. The only guy who plays well and doesn't get minutes is Obi Toppin. And that's the one thing you could say about Tom. He's gonna play people that play well. And if two guys are playing well, then there's gonna be controversy over who should be playing. But the guys who are playing well, they're going to play. And people complain about IQ all year. IQ was playing 25 minutes a game before he was playing this well. When he was getting like eight, nine points a game, he was playing 25 minutes. You know, but IQ was playing a position where Quentin Grimes defensively is one of the, the better players in the league right now. And you have Jalen Brunson. Of course, there's going to be a minute crunch. Somebody's got to suffer. The problem is that Julius Randle is not the one who's suffering enough. That's the problem. And it used to be a point where Julius Randle and R.J. Barrett with Teflon, if they weren't playing well, they were still guaranteed minutes. Now R.J. Barrett is clearly not because there are people who can now fill his minutes and play better. Unfortunately, 
Tom Thibodeau doesn't see Obi Toppin as someone who can fill Randall's minutes and play better. That's what's unfortunate. Now, I think he is slowly moving towards that when Randall is struggling. I think he's slowly moving towards that. I don't have a whole lot of evidence of it. Last night is not a good example because it seemed like Tom Thibodeau was trying to match LeBron James with Randall, which makes sense. But it seems like Obi might be slowly moving into, okay, Julius isn't playing great, so we'll play Obi. But Julius is forever going to be in at the end of the game. So you can forget that. You can forget it. The other trades that are floating around out there, the Cam Reddish trades, Grayson Allen I've seen out there, Jay Crowder. That Jay Crowder thing is not happening. I don't ever, I didn't ever believe Jay Crowder was coming to the Knicks. I thought that was all poppycock from the beginning. Um, you'll see rumors of Cam to the Lakers. Uh, Rob Palenka has always been a Cam Reddish fan. I think there's an outside chance of that. The only thing the Knicks can get back from them are second rounders for the most part. They probably have to take back a contract. One of those contracts they would have had to take back, I think, was none. I think uh, Beverly might be a match somewhere similar to Cam's contract, but the Knicks wouldn't keep Beverly, I don't think. Who knows with Tom Thibodeau, but I don't think he's keeping Beverly. I think the last thing the Knicks want to do is trade Cam Reddish for a second-round pick, though. So if you see Cam Reddish getting traded for a second-round pick or even two second-round picks, they could not get anything more than that. And you can blame that on Tom Thibodeau because I think if he was... If he continued to play, I think Reddish's value would be a little bit higher than it was now. I think if he benched Reddish, and not that this was realistic, I think if he benched Reddish closer to the trade deadline, I think he would have had a little bit more value than he had now. Because I think Reddish was masquerading as, because he was playing hard, I think he was masquerading as a player who was doing more than he was actually doing. People talk about Cam Reddish like he was averaging 15 points a game for the Knicks. He he was barely doing anything offensively, but he was giving them a dimension that they didn't really have prior to Quentin Grimes being healthy. But once Grimes was healthy, not really, even though they have different body types. Uh, Quentin Grimes is very capable of doing the things that Cam, that you wanted Cam to do that he wasn't doing very often. And again, it's a crime that Quentin Grimes is not being asked to do those things more often. It's another dimension to the Knicks offense. That's just not being utilized right now. I think Cam to... I saw Miami was maybe interested in Cam. I don't know what they would give. Unless it's a bigger deal, you're probably looking at Caleb Martin, who I would love. But I don't think they're doing that. So, you can get that out of your head. It probably wouldn't be Victor Oladipo either, because there's just no way. They would trade Victor Oladipo for Cam Reddish. I don't think uh, he's on a he's injury prone, but he's on a, a decent deal for what you're getting out of him. Uh, I believe he has a player option next year. He's making about nine, ten million dollars, or eight to ten, eight, nine million dollars, I should say. I don't think that's happening. I don't think they're trading Caleb Martin, who's on a sweetheart deal for what he can do for you. I don't think that's happening. So. I believe that's some made-up Twitter stuff. Uh, Dallas, maybe. Seems like Dallas might have been interested in Cam Reddish. 
and uh, that would bring back maybe a couple seconds or a Reggie Bullock. I can see the Knicks bringing back Reggie Bullock. Now, there was a lot of conversation about that last week when that started to be rumored. People saying that Reggie Bullock isn't what the team needs and it's like uh, a move that doesn't advance the team at all. And I don't think it has to advance the team anymore. Reggie Bullock is on the last year of a deal. I think he has a team option for next year. I think it just helps them be competitive this year. It doesn't necessarily help them be competitive going forward, but neither does Cam Reddish. So what's the what's the difference? What's the difference? I think Reggie Bullock is actually if he if he plays decently, he's somewhat of an asset to a playoff team. Even though he's on the last year of his deal, you could just probably just let him walk if you wanted to, or you could sign him to a better deal coming back into the season. But I think I think Reggie Bullock, in theory, is what the Knicks need in their rotation. The Knicks need – the only thing the Knicks need in their rotation is a Reggie Bullock-type player. Now, Reggie Bullock hasn't necessarily shot the ball tremendously this year, but he's been in the league long enough that you know what he is. Just because the numbers aren't supporting a solid three-point shooting season, I don't think trading a Cam Reddish who's not playing for you for a Reggie Bullock should be – should be uh, second-guessed because Reggie Bullock is shooting a couple percentage points less than he typically does. I think he'll be fine. He's not going to play big minutes. And he's the exact type of defender the Knicks need. They need insurance wing defenders because Grimes is going to be in foul trouble. And sometimes Grimes is not big enough to guard certain guys. And McBride isn't big enough to guard certain guys. And he will take McBride's minutes, I think, depending on the matchup. I think he will take some of McBride's minutes. I think he will sneak into McBride's minutes for sure. And McBride will be moved to spot duty. Maybe that's a downside to a Nick fan, McBride being moved out of the rotation. I can see that as a downside. I wouldn't necessarily disagree with it. I don't think I would disagree with that notion. I do think Bullock is the type of player the Knicks need when Quentin Grimes is in foul trouble, though, because there's literally no one else. Quickly is a little too small. Of course, he's going to step in, but he's a little too small. There's literally no one else who can do what Bullock does. He can he can get over screens. He can defend in space. He's a strong and he's a and again he's a spot up three point shooter. So in terms of a prototype. For this particular team to help them be competitive this year, I think Bullock, in theory, is of the options available for Cam Reddish. That's the part that you guys are forgetting. This is not, oh, pie in the sky, what kind of player you want. This is what can you get for Cam Reddish. I think the Knicks would be okay if they got a Reggie Bullock. Now, they wouldn't have any asset going forward with a Reggie Bullock trade straight up. I think that becomes an issue. Because Reggie Bullock can just walk this offseason if you didn't want him here and there's a good chance they might not re-sign him for various reasons because he's not everything they would ever dream of in that at that position they want you know they're still looking for a superstar and all that kind of stuff so not having any asset going forward might be a reason they don't make that deal they can get at least a second with Reggie Bullock I think that's a good deal for Cam Reddish it doesn't mean it's everything the Knicks have ever wanted in a trade 
all problem solved with that move. It just means you're moving somebody who doesn't have a whole lot of value around the league right now. Some of that being your own doing, but he didn't have a whole lot of value when you traded for him. And keep in mind, that first round pick that the Knicks traded for him, it wasn't like the strongest pick in the world. It was a it was a top 18 protected 2022 draft pick. Again, more valuable than a second round pick that you're going to get in this draft, maybe likely more valuable than a Reggie Bullock. So they lost value in that trade. There's no question. There's no way around it. But it also wasn't the end of the world. It wasn't like they lost a lottery pick. It was a slight, a slight loss. It was a. Uh, it was a risky proposition for the Knicks to bring him in because Tom Thibodeau said he didn't want him. So, if you weren't going to, if he wasn't going to play, it was risky. I thought they they really kind of rolled the dice on it. But I think if they were able to bring Reggie Bullock back, I think he, I think it helps the team right now. Considering the situation, I think that would help the team right now. But again, it's small potatoes at the end of the day. But I do think that's a nice I think that's a nice get for a team that might get to the playoffs, to be honest with you. Is it is it something great going forward? No. Just to reiterate. Now for the big wills. Big wills. Big Willie move. OG and Anobi now. I've been kind of on the fence about it because you're seeing rumors about three first round draft picks for OG and people are jumping off the bridge. You don't know what those three picks are. You don't know the protections. So without knowing what those protections are going to be, it doesn't make sense to get all upset about it. If you're telling me that three unprotected picks, then yep, that's an issue. You're telling me it's, it's two unprotected picks. That's an issue. Tell me is one unprotected pick in 2023 that's, that might be in the teens and not the 20s. If it's just one, I'm good with that. And the other picks have protections. I'll give you a, a top half of the draft protected pick in 2023. I'll give you an unprotected pick in the future. And a heavily protected pick. If I'll give you that, maybe. I can't give you that and OB Toppin. I can't. It, I, listen, I'm on the fence about it. If the Knicks were able to get OG on the roster, they automatically become a better team because of what he can do. Defensively, leads the league in steals. He's a big, strong defender, can guard pretty much anybody on the floor outside of a big, bulky center. Could even play probably small ball five against certain matchups. But he's not a superstar. Make no mistake, the Knicks still need that A1 guy. And there's some talk that if you get OG at too high of a price, you can't get that A1 guy. I think that becomes the debate. If you got to give three unprotected picks for him, then yeah, it does prevent you from getting maybe from getting that guy. If you got to give up quickly and OB and a bunch of picks, yeah, it might, it might prevent you. But... If it comes down to one unprotected pick and a couple heavily protected picks or relatively heavily protected picks, the Knicks still have other picks to give. And some of the weaker picks that they might have are the picks that went in that trade. I don't think they're getting OG for that. 
So it's all to do about nothing. If they overpay for OG, I agree. I, I don't think that's gonna that, that's not gonna push the Knicks over the top. But the Knicks would have one of the best defenders in the league and one of the more coveted players in the league in their building, and maybe in a trade for that A one guy, having OG Ananobi makes that trade better. Something that you're not really considering. Like if OG's value is let me not, I don't want to go crazy with it. Whatever his value is outside of three unprotected picks or two unprotected picks and a, a top 10 protected pick or something like that, anything outside of something along those lines, it is it is potentially viable to assume that OG is more valuable to a team than some of those picks. As long as the Knicks don't overpay for OG, the player might be more valuable than the, than the collection of picks for that team that has the superstar you're looking for. That's something that's not being considered. But the Knicks can't overpay for OG like it's going to be the, the, you know, the be-all, end-all once, once you get him into the building because he's not exactly what they need. He's, he's 75% of what they need. They need a dynamic scorer at that position. That's not something that OG has shown himself to be. At the same time... He does make the team infinitely better. He does make the team infinitely better. I would I would argue that the Knicks were a better team with this roster, assuming that the other players that were involved are not high-impact players, which is the other side of this, because you're seeing rumors of the picks, but you're not seeing the players that have to go. If it quickly has to go, then I'm, I'm really not a big fan of the deal. All those picks and quickly... All those picks and grimes, I'm not a big fan. OB, I can stomach. Not everybody else, I can't stomach. I can't stomach it. But so, but let's just play it out. You got OG and you got IQ and Grimes and OG with the players, with the with the core players who are still on this team, is a better team than the Knicks were going to be with the Donovan Mitchell trade because the Donovan Mitchell trade was going to strip them of quickly and grimes, along with all of the picks. So they'd be a better team and with better prospects going forward because they still have picks and they still have players to move, to keep getting better. So my my stance on OG is no, you don't overpay for OG. You don't give them three unprotected picks. You don't give them three high-value picks and OB top and then quickly. You don't make a blockbuster trade for OG. That's I'm, I'm completely against that. But if you can get OG for... For I'm not gonna say a bargain before a relatively feasible trade, then you do it. You get him in the building, and now you're a better team, and because you made a conscientious deal, you can you can still go forward looking for that A1 player that you've been trying to get. And if you can get that player without moving OG, then that'd be great. But OG gives you an opportunity to maybe Moving RJ and not take a, an L, or moving Randall and not take an L in your overall talent base for that superstar guy, because you have him on the team. Whereas trading trading those guys for the superstar still leaves kind of a hole in your lineup. Now, if you have OG and you still have RJ and you or you still have RJ, you still have Randall. You can still move RJ and Randall, and now you you still have OG. Who's better? Who's a better all-around player than both of them? And, and uh, listen, that's going to be a debate. 
that's going to be a debate. That's going to be a debate. But it's just, I'm a big floor game guy. I'm not talking about value, etc. I'm not going to get into that big back and forth with everybody. Randall's had a tremendous season. It's just when it comes to the playoffs and when it comes to winning championships, some of Randall's ills can come back and haunt you, whereas OG is going to be a plus nine times out of ten just because of the type of defense he makes and just because he's not an overbearing offensive player. But if you can get OG in the building, just to be clear, without giving up RJ, Grimes, Quickly, and Randall, okay? Without giving up a, a zillion high-value picks, but let's put that aside, just looking at the roster. That means you're adding OG to your current talent base. So if you want, you can still, if you don't give up too many picks, you can still trade for a superstar and now trade one of your talent base guys in that deal and not be as lost roster-wise when the deal is consummated. You follow what I'm saying? Like you can have OG, RJ, and Randall with this deal. So now you can trade OG, RJ, or Randall in a deal for a superstar and still not have a hole in your lineup. Whereas right now with no OG on a on a smart deal, smart from a smart trade perspective, not having no OG, now you have to trade RJ or Randall, in theory, to get that guy. Now your talent base isn't as strong. So I tried to say that three different ways to see if it made sense. Hopefully one of those ways resonated with you. So I think the last deal that's been floating around and this show's kind of running over is the Sadiq Bay deal. Now Sadiq Bay could be had at a bargain. He's not having a tremendous season. He's been hot the last couple of weeks. In theory, he's a guy who can be a good wing defender, good 3 and D guy who has some shot creation every blue moon. He has not been a great defender this year. I don't know if he's just taking the year off because Detroit is trash. You know he has Brunson, his old Villanova teammates. Obviously, there's some synergy there. He probably wants to come here. He wants to get out of that Detroit situation. If he could still be the defender that he, he had the reputation of being, that would be, again, that would be a better get than Bullock. That'd be a better get than Bullock. Is a guy that has more upside, more potential, and could potentially be a defender, a feasible, acceptable defender for the Knicks at a very good size. Small ball, four, can play some three, can play, can defend some twos. It would be a nice addition to the team if they could get him at a price that wasn't so, so crazy. They might be able to get a good bit of what they were looking for from OG from Bay. And I might be overstating that a bit because comparing them is probably out of bounds. But Sadiq Bay is a, is a young player, too, that has some upside and he has some offensive talent that he has shown that's at least on par with OG, I would say, in conversation. He's not on the best of teams, and he's been sharing time with a lot of different wings and forwards, etc. And there was a reputation for him defensively when he came into the league. He was showing a little bit defensively. Now it's kind of falling off, so you don't know what you're really getting. I think the Knicks 
scouting staff and their player evaluation department, they got to do their homework. If he can defend, I would, I would move heaven and earth to bring him in here on a nice, reasonable deal. I definitely would. Winning player, won a championship in college. You know, he knows the fight that it takes. I just think he's getting a little, you know, out of sorts in Detroit. I think he fits nicely with what the Knicks are trying to do going forward. If there's a deal that you can do that brings Bay in here that is centered around Cam Reddish, that's killing two birds with one stone. You're going to have to give them some, some other stuff to get Bay in here. But if they were in any way interested in doing that, that's just a win for the Knicks. And of all the deals that are floating around, that's my favorite. And that's the one that's getting the least amount of fanfare. Like, I don't, I don't really believe that they're going to get Caleb Martin. So, I believe that deal, it's, it fits with the Knicks youth movement. It's a clear upgrade. And it's exactly what they need exactly as, as far as the rotation is concerned. Now it's called it's not the superstar and all of that stuff. You know, you can't hit you can't hit a home run every time. But it helps this year and it helps your, your talent base. It helps your culture. That's the move I hope they're focusing on. Anyway, I was trying to hold out to see if the all stars were announced, but they haven't put that out there just yet. We'll pop back on and do another show to rant and rave if our guys didn't make the team. But in the meantime, make sure you check out sportsethos.com at sportsethos on Twitter at ethosnicks. Until next time.